My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 44 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring my beautiful conversation with artist, ritualist, and award-winning author, De Schuldkret. To me, a ritual midwives us through transitions, helping us acknowledge the change and transform us from who we were to who we are now. That's how I define it, as a midwife. Ritual and ceremony is a very, very important way to cultivate a skillful and purposeful and beautiful relationship to change. One that doesn't turn away from it, but that turns towards it. One that doesn't promote more fear, but more respect. So getting knocked down is kind of the core function of change. You have to get knocked down. You know, we live in a culture, the dominant culture of North America that has its roots everywhere now in the world that is competency addicted. It's addicted to you always needing to get it right, always needing to look good, always needing needing to be competent. I'm doing my absolute best, maybe you are too, of trying to proceed genuinely to my audience. Like genuinely meaning I'm heartbroken and today was hard and last night I had trouble sleeping and you know, I'm worried and just being a real human, you know? And not always being confident, not always getting it right, not always being, you know, on point. Sometimes, you know, sitting at the altar is like full of tears and sometimes I'm collapsed and sometimes I don't know. It's not necessarily about not getting knocked down, it's about how do you return? You know, we in the West need to learn how to remember how to return beautifully. Even if that's you sitting at your altar and you had a shitty day or, you know, you lost something or something ended or someone died and you're collapsed, how do you return beautifully? With all of your imperfections and all of your sadness and sorrow and include that into the wholeness of that moment. A ritual says, I am or we are here. And I'm not going to carry some of these rituals as if they're stale. I am reinventing them because I am the person carrying them. And I'm an artist and I'm queer and I'm creative and I'm alive. And I'm going to reinvent these rituals and make them relevant now because we have different problems right now than two, 500 years ago. So I empower everyone listening to both learn about where your stuff came from, who your people were, what they carried, all that richness. And you are a creative, alive, inventive human being. Step into that power and reimagine these rituals for this modern time, because we need that. We need you to be creative right now. That's the power of, of who you are and what this time needs. As we collectively move through these times of enormous transition, the power of ritual helps us to make contact with the fullness of the present moment, inviting us to pause and remember how to turn towards and tend to the sacred. 
And when we do this, rituals can help us punctuate the story and the transition through the various chapters of our lives with meaning and purpose and a greater depth of significance. And for those of you who have been listening to this podcast, you know I've personally been moving through times of major transition in my life, as many of us are, and rituals and ceremony and daily practice have been such profound and powerful tools to help me find inner stability through these shifting tides. And that's why I was so thrilled to invite Day Schuldkret onto the show to talk about the power of ritual. He's the author of Morning Altars and just published a new book called Hello, Goodbye, 75 Rituals for Times of Loss, Celebration, and Change. Now, I just adore this man. <laughs> like seriously, Day is such a wonderful, kind-hearted human being. And I just feel such a deep sense of kinship with him and love his work so, so much and feel so honored to be able to spend time speaking with him because I learn so much from Day every time we talk. And one of the things I love about Day is that he calls himself a word nerd. And throughout this episode, he shares the etymology of words like ritual and ceremony. And all the way at the very end of this conversation, he breaks down the meaning of the word catastrophe, which I highly recommend listening to this episode all the way to the end, just so you can hear him break down what the meaning of catastrophe really is and how within the meaning of the word, it has sort of like instructions for us on how to navigate through change without fearing it. In this episode, we talk about the significance of rituals and how symbolic action is essentially a tool for meaning-making. Day also shares why rituals are so important, especially for right now, and he shares various ways of defining and understanding what ritual is and explains the difference between ritual, ceremony, and routine. And Day, as I mentioned, is just such a kind-hearted human, and he shares some beautiful, heartfelt, and deeply personal stories throughout this conversation. He also comes out of the psychedelic closet for the first time publicly and shares how he microdosed throughout the entire writing of his latest book, Hello, Goodbye, which I highly recommend getting a copy of, and I'll include a link to his book in the show notes. And just a reminder that all the resources mentioned in each episode can be found on my new website, lauradon.co. And for each episode, it's just forward slash and the number of the episode. So to access more information about Day and the wonderful work he's doing in the world, as well as all the resources that he mentioned, a link to his book, and to access the full transcript, you can go to lauradon.co forward slash 44. On my website, I also have a bunch of free downloadable resources, including integration guides, a guide that includes 45 questions to vet your shaman, which is more necessary today than ever before, a free eight-day microdosing course, as well as my four free playlists for psychedelic journeys and beyond. And there are other resources on there as well. 
So I'm actually going to keep this intro pretty short today, which is a rare occurrence. As many of you know, who listen to this podcast regularly, I do love to indulge in long intros and preambles to each of the episodes. So I'm going to keep it short, but before we dive in, I just wanted to briefly mention that my psychedelic leadership mastermind for medicine women called Your Message is Your Medicine starts March 2nd. So it's coming up very soon. And I have just a few spots left for that. It's a 12 week program and I already have an amazing group of women coming together for this. And so if you're feeling the call to step out and contribute your voice to the psychedelic space and the medicine movement, and you want to learn how to cultivate your thought leadership and refine your core message and build an offering around that, then this is likely a program for you. And it's more than just covering strategic tools and business advice. It's also really diving into what it means to embody feminine leadership and how we can learn to expand what we believe is possible. Possible. And we'll explore what I like to think of as the codes to up-leveling because choosing to step out requires a lot of courage. It often requires that we face an enormous amount of fear, fear of being seen or fear of judgment or fear of not good enough. And so when we come to our edge and we choose to step out, it really brings up all of our core stuff, which is why our message is our medicine, which makes it a path for inner transformation growth, and healing. So if you feel the call to come together and gather with a group of women who are choosing courage over comfort and who are feeling that call to step out and cultivate a message to contribute their voices to the psychedelic space, then I encourage you to click on the link in the show notes, Medicine Women's Mastermind, to learn more about what this 12-week program includes. And since this program is by application only, you can include the code live free in the comments and I will extend the early bird pricing to you. Okay, one last thing before we dive in. As many of you know, an enormous amount of love and energy goes into the production of each episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. So if you've been tuning in and enjoying the show, I would sincerely appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. And please let me know how this podcast has impacted your life. That would mean so much to me. And if you send me a message on Instagram at livefreelauraD, letting me know that you left a review, I'll share your review with my audience in my stories and I'll tag you in that post. I'm also starting to release my episodes a little more raw and uncut, which I'm actually really enjoying. So you'll hear that in this conversation. I started recording when we hopped on the call. So you'll hear us sort of settle into the conversation together. And I'll be leaving you with an incredible song called The Offering by my dear, sweet medicine song sister, Aeluz. What a perfect song to go with this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. Okay, that's all from me for today. Uh, from my inspired heart to yours, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. 
Thank you for witnessing me grow on this path. It has been just quite the journey. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and so much love and gratitude to my brother Day for this epic conversation that nourished me on so many levels. Without any further ado, here is my conversation with ritualist and award-winning author Day Schuldkret. Hey there. Aloha. Hey, brother. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Day Schildkret. I was practicing it. Schildkret. 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 Did I get it? Yeah. Okay. Think of it like shield, but it's with an all. Schildkret. Schildkret. Yes. Yeah. I'm getting and it. I told you what it means, right? No, you didn't tell me what it means. This is the best part. It means turtle. Yes. I like that. I'm lighting some Palo Santos. After we spoke the last time, I feel really inspired to actually just invoke the ritual process for my episodes. Beautiful. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to dive in with you. I just want to say, I so appreciate the work that you are doing in this world. Thank you. Yeah. I just like really want to elevate your voice. Thank you, darling. It's, it is, um, we're all in it together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's really like the only way we're going to make impact is by uplifting each other. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 And just speaking to these times, and I would also like to dive into some of your story, but I almost just want to start at this place of like, you know, the narrative of this time that we're living in and, you know, ritual as this powerful tool for meaning making. So I'm kind of curious, what is the narrative that you're telling yourself about this time that we're transitioning through right now? Change. Mm -hmm. Really? It comes down to we're in a major transitional period. Um, Most of us have been taught to fear change. Most of us are showing up to this time craving normalcy. Even the word, the new normal. I mean, it's like in the mainstream culture, it carries so much value. And really what that is, is change phobia. Mm -hmm. We're we're terrified of change. Mm -hmm. I get it. I have a lot of change in my life. You know, it's scary, especially when that kind of change makes the ground fall out from under you. Mm-hmm. However, change is the only constant in our life. And showing up to change as an amateur is really not a skillful option, especially as an adult. So the question becomes how do we cultivate a skillful and purposeful relationship to change? There's lots of ways to do that. I mean, meditation is one way. Psychedelics is another way. Music is another, you know, like there are many ways. I'm not, I'm not promoting one way. I'm not a monotheist like that. (laughs) But ritual and ceremony is a very, very important way to cultivate a skillful and purposeful and beautiful relationship to change. One that doesn't turn away from it, but that turns towards it. Mm. One that doesn't promote more fear, but more respect. One that doesn't make us feel isolated, 
but lets us feel collected in or gathered in. And so that we can cross our thresholds both personally and collectively with beauty and change and and be changed by change. Mm. Right? We're talking about evolution, both as personal as people and as a culture. Mm. Evolving, transforming, you know, renewing. These mm. are all qualities of ritual. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because actually at the heart of it, we have a very similar core message. You know, so much of what I talk about is actually bowing at the altar of impermanence and how we actually cultivate that warrior strength to show up and actually sit in the middle of the fire of the emotional pain of what it takes to actually touch it completely and turn towards it. And yet rationally, we can sit here and say, yes, everything changes. We know this on a rational level, but emotionally, this is so hard for us to grasp. And actually, this is the root teachings of the Buddha and Eastern philosophy that the core root of suffering is this fundamental denial of the true nature of reality, which is fundamentally impermanent and always changing. So... Exactly. And if you, you know, you said bowing on the, I think you said bowing on the altar of change or something like that. I mean, you know, my part of my work is making altars and I'm also a word nerd. And the, the root of the word altar means to raise up. That's Mm. what the word act etymologically means. It means the things that you're putting on the altar, you're uplifting them. Right. Mm -hmm. So altus is the Latin And so putting change or objects of change onto the altar in some ways is it uplifts them Mm. so that you're not, you know, kind of smashed or buried or, or depressed or, you know, fearful of them, but you're raising them up so that you can elevate them to, you know, being beautiful, Mm. being Mm -hmm. valuable, Mm -hmm. purposeful, not something that shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a and that's a skill. It's just like playing a piano. The more you play it, the better you get. I mean, it's just kind of like that's the dynamic of practice. Right? So the more that we can practice turning towards change and facing it, welcoming it even, honoring it. You know, the key word here, <laughs> which I love and very few people talk about, but I freaking love this word so much. It's the word hospitality. Hmm. I think I'm going to write a book about this. Hospitality. How, how, do, how are we as a guest? How are we as a host? When change knocks on your door, what kind of host are you? Hmm. How skillful are you at the, the old tradition of hospitality? And in our culture, I mean, I'm talking about people that live in North America. We suck. We absolutely suck at at hospitality compared to so many other cultures around the world. I mean, I can tell you, I've traveled around. I went to Ukraine years ago ago, um, on a mission bringing medicine and uh, supplies to elderly and housebound people, people that couldn't leave their houses, poor people. And I walked into their houses and waiting at their dinner table was like their best fish their best vodka, their, their best everything. They had no money, but they gave it all to me. 
because I was their guest. And that's like the rules of hospitality in, the, in those cultures. So here, it's the same thing. When change shows up at your door, are you giving it your best or your worst? Mm. How are you treating your guests? I love, to me, this is like, let's talk about that. Like, I love this, the skill sets of hospitality, you know? It's a re it's a reciprocal relationship. Change is trying to give you things. It's mm. trying to change you. Mm. It's trying to take things from you and give things to you. Mm. Are you trusting that? Are you open to that? Mm. Are you interested in what it has to say and what it has to offer? And ritual is one way where we can elevate change and treat it as the holy guest that it is. I'm curious your perspective, and I want to ask you your definition of ritual in a moment, but I love the way you frame this as a skill set. And in this notion of hospitality, which I love this narrative around that, and I also think of this skill set of how we hold our seat and our center at the altar of impermanence, which is a skill set. Like, how do we not get knocked off in this way or knocked off in that way by like the good thing happens, the bad thing happens, and actually just root in awareness and making direct contact with what is. And I'm kind of just, I'm, I'm really curious, like, does that, how does that weave into your narrative of hospitality? Well, first and foremost, like anyone that practices anything knows that the, the core skill of practice is fucking up. Like that's the core. Like I play classical guitar. It's all about fucking up. <laughs> like the mistakes are necessary. That's what makes it practice, right? Mm -hmm. you, that's how you learn mm. is you got, you have to like, you, I, I play a, a chord or a note and it sounds terrible. And I'm like, oh, that's teaching me how to get better at it. So getting knocked down is kind of the core function of mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. You have to get knocked down. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in a culture, the dominant culture of North America that has its roots everywhere now in the world that is competency addicted. Mm. It's addicted to you always needing to get it right, always needing to look good, always need, needing to be competent. Mm. I'm doing my absolute best, maybe you are too, of trying to proceed genuinely mm -hmm. to my audience. Mm -hmm. Like genuinely meaning... Mm. I'm heartbroken and today was hard and last night I had trouble sleeping and, you know, I'm worried and just being a real human, mm -hmm. you know, and not always being competent, not always getting it right, not always being, you know, on point. Sometimes, you know, sitting at the altar is like full of tears and mm -hmm. sometimes I'm collapsed and sometimes I don't know. It's not necessarily about not getting knocked down. It's about how do you return? Right. Right. And to me, that's, this is such a beautiful word, return, right? It has the word re in it, meaning you do it again and again mm -hmm. and again. Mm -hmm. And it has the word turn, mm -hmm. which means to turn towards or turn away, but mm -hmm. to turn towards or to spiral in again, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So like calendrically, mm -hmm. New Year's is a time where we return mm -hmm. in the circle or the summer solstice or the spring equinox, we return again, or a birthday or an anniversary, we return. Mm -hmm. So it's like we leave and we come back, right? Mm -hmm. We And that's part of change, mm -hmm. is you have to depart and you have to come and arrive back. Mm -hmm. And I think the skill is 
Um, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, in some cultures, like we just celebrated the Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. I'm not Chinese, but gosh, a culture that does that beautifully, right? Mm. So beautifully. I mean, with color and celebration and food and ritual and tradition and family and oh, it's gorgeous. It's so hospitable for the year. It's delicious. So, you know, we in the West need to learn how to remember how to return beautifully. Even if that's you sitting at your altar and you had a shitty day or, you know, you lost something or Mm -hmm. something ended or someone died and you're collapsed, how do you return beautifully with Mm -hmm. all of your imperfections and all of your sadness and sorrow and include that into the wholeness of that moment? Mm, I love that. It actually makes me think so much of Pema Chodron's teachings. You know, she's the one that I learned meditation from. And it's like the mind leaves. That's just what the mind does. It just goes. And meditation is really just the, the returning of the mind back to center over and over and over again. And it's like training a puppy. When the puppy goes all over the place, you don't hit the puppy. It's like, Oh, you're training the puppy. Good puppy. We want to love the puppy, you know? So it's like returning with that sense of loving kindness and compassion and like, it's okay. Life is really wild for a lot of us right now. Can we actually even hold the paradox of grief and joy in the grief and the hope in grief, you know, and knowing that it's, it's full spectrum right now. And can we just be open to all of it? Yeah. I mean, that to me is, is, you know, you're talking, Pema is a beautiful teacher and that teaching applies personally and, and, um, communally and collectively. That teaching of leaving and returning. I mean, there's no question. I mean, it's kind of, it's a miracle I arrived at the name of this book because it's just, I mean, literally you're talking about hello, goodbye, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's you and your mind, goodbye, Mm -hmm. hello, goodbye, hello. Whether it's you in a relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's you and your kid, growing up and then going off to college, whether it's you and your parent, whether it's you and your home. I mean, we face so many moments, whether it's us in democracy, I mean, you can, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whatever, whether it's us in climate, Mm -hmm. it's these moments of endings and beginnings, Mm -hmm. right? And And you can bring it back to meditation, Ending, beginning, ending, beginning. It's always this moment of coming and going, coming and going. That's why hospitality is is crucial. I I swear I'm going to write this book after this interview. I love (laughs) it. Okay, let's dive in. How would you define ritual? Well, you're talking to a word nerd. And that means I love etymology. Okay, it's it's even more profound than that. I'm not a word nerd. I'm I'm a root lover. I love the roots of things. I love how deep they are and how invisible they are to the mind, to the eye. And so words have roots. They come from places. They travel just like people. And just because we're speaking a word doesn't necessarily mean that's the origin of the word, right? So the word ritual comes from, etymologically means to count, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. However, I come from the theater. I also play music. Mm -hmm. 
I used to dance. And so musicians and dancers count very differently than that. They count like this. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One. So they count in patterns, rhythmically. That's how they stay in rhythm with the music. If a dancer stops counting, they're all over the place. If a musician stop, stops counting and they're playing with other musicians, they're gone. They're lost. So the counting helps everyone stay together in the music. Ritual is, works the same way, my friend. It helps us stay in rhythm with our lives. When things change, when things get ungrounded, when things get chaotic, when things go wacky, <laughs> ritual helps us remember the counting of the music. Oh yeah, that's where I am. Oh, right. This is where I am. One, two, three, four, one, right? Because otherwise we get lost so easily. Mm -hmm. Collectively, we get lost. Personally, we get lost. Um, do, you, do you ever read the book um, Braiding Sweetgrass? Yes. I just actually returned to it re recently, a couple of weeks ago. So it's, it's Robin mm -hmm. Wall Commemorer and mm -hmm. Inside the book, she put it perfectly. This, for those of you listening that don't know, this is a book uh, written by an indigenous woman who's also a scientist. She's a botanist. And she kind of is the, this book is very much a bridge between uh, indigenous plant wisdom and scientific botany wisdom. And she's that bridge. And inside of it, she says something like, our elders say that ceremony is our way to remember to remember. Whoa. <laughs> Ceremony and ritual let is our way to remember to remember. Mm. Why? Because being human, we forget all the time. That's what being human is. Mm. It's so easy to forget, right? So we need these things, these these things that we do called ceremony and ritual that that literally snap us awake and say, "Oh yeah, right this is important oh yeah the season just changed oh yeah my father who died we're coming on the anniversary of his death oh yeah something tragic happened oh yeah someone was born you know it's these moments that snap us awake and help us remember where we are who we are what now where we're going it helps us to remember and the word, okay, one more word nerd mm -hmm. thing. Remember, there's that R-E again, that doing it again. But we don't really have the, the verb to member. But remember basically says something was dismembered or forgotten. So we have to bring it back into a hole again called memory. Oh, yeah, things get scattered and dispersed. We have to bring things back to the whole, to the memory. And that's the rhythm, forgetting, remembering, forgetting, remembering. And ritual is a very important way that we can do that. Mm, when you just express the definition of remember, it makes me think of the word integrate. So in a way, I wonder if there's a way we can also loop that into this narrative because, you know, especially in the plant medicine space, integration is such a big topic. But in a sense, as ritual, we're sort of 
The way that I define ritual or one of many ways is that it's an invitation to make direct contact with the present moment. And in that way, we're like punctuating the days and the chapters of our lives with meaning and significance. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, when we're doing that, we're also integrating the process of like, oh, this has been a year now since the passing of this loved one. It's actually like a meaning making tool. Bingo. Yep. It's a meaning making tool for integration, for transformation, for wholeness, because you have to, we have to, when we say these things, for instance, integration, right? This is a word that sounds great and is great, but we have to include when we talk about these things, the disintegration. Mm-hmm. If we have to name the, the thing that we're not saying, Right. Because, for instance, I don't know if you've had a lot of death in your life, in your family, but I have. And there's a lot of forgetting that happens in that. There's a lot of grief that happens spontaneously in that. There's a lot of letting go. And there's a lot of different messy experiences that happen with death. Right. So the integration means to include back. But. Why? Because it gets scattered, because it gets forgotten, because life's busy and crazy and chaotic and forgetful and all of those things. So an integration doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. We have to do it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's a skill. You know, ritual can't be thought. It has to be done. Mm-hmm. Our hands have to do it, our mouths have to do it, our feet do it, our bellies do it, whatever it is. We have to do the ritual. So, you know, it's we do it and the mechanism to remember is to is when we realize we're forgetting. That's the mechanism. Oh right. If we don't do it, then it just continues to go into the into the space of forgetting. Mm. Uh, yeah, I want to dive into that deeper. Do you have your book close by? Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. And I'm curious, is there a couple other definitions from people that you shared in there? Of of ritual? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, these are not mine, but I'll end with mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just know that I'm reading other people's mm-hmm. definitions. Someone said, and by the way, just to give a little backstory, I interviewed about 250 people for this book Mm. hour-long conversations each most of the time we're both crying it's like it fed me as much as it fed them i mean not a lot of people want to speak to you on the phone about like a major moment in your life where you get to like unpack it it's Mm -hmm. it was a moving conversation this book they are the bones and muscle of this book So one of the questions I asked everyone, the only question that everyone got asked the same question is, how do you define ritual? And of course, there were over 250 answers to that question. It's really interesting. So these are some of the ones that I thought were really worth highlighting. It's a language for meaning making. Interesting. A language. Hmm. Something you do to mark occasions out of traditions a meeting place where the spiritual meets the physical, the unseen meets the seen, the formless meets the form, 
Concretizing the Sacred. Woo! That mm. one was good. Mm. I'll read a few more. I see ritual as a cue or road sign to point me in the right direction. Oh my gosh, that is beautiful. Ritual is a mini journey. You start somewhere. Sometimes you have a destination that you seek in the ritual and sometimes not. And the last one I'll read here is, a ritual says I am or we are here. Mm. And then I finish that with mine. To me, a ritual midwives us through transitions, helping us acknowledge the change and transform us from who we were to who we are now. That's how I define it, as a midwife. Mm, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Why, from your perspective, is it also an act of doing that we speak the words, that we break the branch, that we write the thing or rip it up? Like, why does that have to be a, a real catalyst for the why ritual. does it have to be done mm-hmm. why do rituals well okay change right transformation we sometimes experience a lot of things internally right like if you go through a divorce a lot of that's happening inside of you a lot of the heartbreak and the separation and the fear and the grief is happening internally Sure, there's external things. You sign papers, you see a lawyer, you move out of the house, whatever. But those are really, you know, they're routine, they're practical, but they're not symbolic. And we are all mythopoetic people. We come from mythopoetic people, meaning that we come from ancestors who weren't just interested in the practical. We have, a, no matter where you come from, no matter who your people are, they all had ways of being that were based in symbolism, metaphor. They did things that to a rational mind didn't make sense, but they did it because the mythopoetic parts of us, it made a lot of sense. For instance, I'm thinking of my own tradition, my own culture. I come from a Jewish culture. We have, I mean, I was born into a rich ritual tradition. And I'm thinking of like one of them, like the marriage. It's a ceremony, but there's many rituals within the the wedding ceremony. A popular one that many people know is that we break a glass. You, traditionally, the groom breaks a glass, steps on a glass at the end of the ceremony and everyone screams mazel tov and it's like the end of the ceremony. But like, what practical reason would someone break a glass? What does that functionally do? It doesn't do anything. But symbolically, it does a lot. And I mean, I can go into the reasons. I'm not sure it's yeah, like... Yeah, I'm kind of curious because, because in some ways it's like we need something for the mind to like use as a catalyst to make meaning out of. Yeah, I mean, breaking a glass, there's lots of interpretations. What I love about symbolic action is that they don't necessarily have to mean one thing. And most often they don't. They're interpreted. That's the beauty of poetry, right? It's not operating in like a scientific, practical, utilitarian mindset where like it means one thing, one truth, you know? We're operating in a realm of many things, many truths, many interpretations. Wonder and curiosity are the skill sets for the mythopoetic mind, not you know, truth. It's not a monotheistic way of being in the world. It's more poly. So breaking a glass, for instance, 
you know, for some traditionalists, it could, it could mean like the loss of our homeland. We're remembering the place. I mean, it, to some it's Jerusalem. We're remembering the place where we, where we lived, our ancestors lived. You know, for others, it's remembering the heartbreak in the midst of joy. Or for others, it's remembering the brokenness in the midst of wholeness. It's taking a very happy, beautiful moment, and it's also breaking something. There's lots of lots of interpretations of what that means, but it's symbolic, meaning you have to step on a glass and break it to end the ceremony. And that almost transforms the thing from we're in the ceremony to you are a married couple. And it's like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have any purpose but to transform the people mm. and to transform the whole group gathered. Mm. Right. It almost makes me think of transforming the ordinary into the extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I coined a phrase yesterday. I was on a call. I, I uh, run a teacher training for my work and um, we were building curriculum yesterday and I, I coined a term, you're going to be the first to hear it publicly, but I called it the miraculization. Mm-hmm. It's the miraculization of, of that moment. It, it takes a very small moment, happy, but small, and it brings it into a much broader field. How did it get to be that we got to this time mm-hmm. that all of these ancestors came together to bring these two people together, mm-hmm. right? It brings time. It brings us into a much broader landscape of time. Ritual and ceremony brings us into a much broader landscape of where we are in time. Ritual and ceremony brings us into a much broader landscape of where we're going in time. Mm-hmm. So it's not just limited to this small moment. It helps us remember a much bigger moment. And to me, that's a miraculization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New and I, I hear you saying ritual and ceremony. And I know some people have distinguished definitions of each one. And even like, how do we make ritual a continued ritual without it becoming habituated and routine? Well, those are two different questions. So let me start with the first one. Um, A lot of people interchange ritual and ceremony. They're not the same thing. They have two different purposes. Um, It's fine if you do, but let's learn about what the difference is. I mean, there's so many ways to learn that. Like etymologically, they have two totally different definitions. Ceremony actually refers to a place. I didn't know if you, I don't know if you know that. It has a whole history about like what Rome did to this place. Ceremony actually refers to an actual city. Okay, but the Wait, best. That's defin- kind of blowing my mind. <laughs> Can we just unpack that for a second before we move on? Considering that we live in this era of plant medicine ceremonies galore, so let's unpack that. Sure. I mean, I'm I can't off the top of my head tell you what the name of the place is, um, but it does. It refers to a place that was um, attacked, destroyed, changed by Rome's influence. Mm. So we get this word and it means and it, it means something to us as modern people, but it actually has a very, very interesting history to it. Mm. Not trying to say don't use the word. I'm just trying to say learn about the word. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. But putting that aside, I mean we can you can look that up. But putting that aside, ceremony 
traditionally means something different. And the best, the best understanding of how I, of who talks about it is a man by the name of Victor Turner. Victor Turner was a student of an ethnographer, Arnold Van Genep, who wrote an amazing book called Rites of Passage uh, many, many, many years ago. Definitely worth reading. If you are interested in initiation, in ceremony, in rites of passage, this is like the grandfather book of it. He went into many, many cultures all around the world to learn how they did initiation. And I, I refer to him quite a bit in my chapter on rituals for puberty. Okay. So, so Victor Turner was also an, an ethnographer and wrote a lot about rites of passage and initiations. And he said, and this is like the one that I love the most, he said that the difference between initiation and ceremony, I'm sorry, um, ritual and ceremony is ceremony confirms, rituals transform. Hmm. So think of it like this, a graduation ceremony. You've graduated. You are being affirmed publicly in your accomplishment. An initiation ceremony. You have been, you are being affirmed by your community that you have crossed this threshold and you have passed all these things and you're a different person. A wedding ceremony. You are being affirmed as a couple. Ritual weaves into ceremony like a thread through a fabric. Ritual transforms. So there are many rituals within ceremonies. Like I was talking about before a Jewish wedding. Well, we break a glass. That's a ritual. The bride, well, I'm talking about a heterosexual wedding. The bride circles the groom seven times. That's a ritual. They drink wine. That's a ritual. There's many rituals with it woven into the ceremony. The rituals themselves are meant to transform they're meant to change things. You are no longer this, you're now this. You're, this is not no longer now it is. It takes something and it makes it different within the ceremony. It's almost like a program inside of a bigger program. Hmm. And so you can have them both exist together, but learning the distinction can help us, it can help us understand their purposes. Hmm. <laughs> so you can have a ritual without having a ceremony but you can't have a ceremony without having rituals. Hmm. It's a lot of information. No, it's great. I love it. And, and so, yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, the contrast here. So it's like, you know, when the ceremony of, you know, whatever it is, let's say the ceremony of ayahuasca comes to an end and then the ceremony of the rest of our lives continues. And so there's also this contrast between you know, mundane, ordinary, and then like paying attention and turning towards tending the sacred. And so yeah. how do we make sure that the ritual stays alive in the sense of not putting it back into the, the mundane of the routine of like, oh, I wake up and I make my coffee and I do my microdosing morning rituals. And it's like rote, you know, first off, you're asking such great questions. Number one, you are really, you're, you're nailing it with the questions here. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes, I adore them. Um, I'd say first and foremost, rituals, keeping rituals alive is a, 
personal and communal endeavor, meaning rituals are like anything that travel through time. They have to be kept alive, which is such a weird thing for us as modern people to understand. I mean, we barely think a tree is alive. We're so we're so into objects. You know, we we put humans as like the only thing that are really alive on this planet. I mean, we're so lost in understanding what is alive. Rituals are alive. They travel through time. They have a purpose. They're kept alive by people or persons. And because they're alive, they can get old and they can die hmm. and they can lose relevance. There's a caveat here I want to acknowledge, which like in my book, I speak quite a bit about cultural appropriation, hmm. where people are, they're in the presence of a ritual or a ceremony that is so alive and have been kept so alive over time that it's almost like attending a rich feast where you're, you attend and you're like, oh my God, it could be like this. And maybe for many of us, we, are, we haven't been fed. We're so hungry that we show up to these rituals and ceremonies starving. And we can't help it, but want to take. And so a lot of the time, cultural appropriation is the result of starvation. And so I have a hard stop in my book about that. You know, I'm not promoting cultural appropriation. I'm not a pro, I'm not uh, promoting taking. If anything, anyone that comes from an intact culture understands to show up to these things with gifts, generously. So you don't show up empty-handed to a feast. You show up to feed. A man by the name of Martin Shaw, Dr. Martin Shaw, he's a mythopoetic teacher, he has a quote, which I absolutely love, which is, if you want to be fed, become bread. <laughs> Yum. Mm. Such a great quote. If you mm. want to be fed, become bread. If you want to eat, feed. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> Reciprocity. Right? So that's number one. Keeping ritual alive is it's about, first and foremost, honoring the life of rituals and the cultures that carry their own. And not showing up to take all the time. And a lot of that, you know, it's, this is my own journey. A lot of that is rooted in me learning my own people's rituals. Mm. Not going to other cultures to take, but first learning to be fed by my own. Mm -hmm. And some, some of the time the devastation's real. I mean, most of us grow up without anything. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that your own people had nothing. It's a long walk, but to learn your own people's rituals and, and customs and traditions and languages and food and clothing and all of the things that make culture is a very rich learning. But that's a good place to start, especially if you're going to engage in other cultures, rituals and ceremonies. The more, the more you can acquire and remember and learn about your own people's traditions and rituals and ceremonies, the more you'll be able to bring as a gift to those other cultures. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then the second thing that you mentioned was about turning towards the sacred. I'm going to bring up that man, Arnold Van Genep again. He has this quote that I actually end the introduction of my book with, which I freaking love so much. And he calls it pivoting towards the sacred. And basically, the, the crux of it is anything could be ritualized. Your coffee 
your shower, combing your hair, brushing your teeth. I mean, the, the most mundane stuff can be made into ritual. It just requires a turning towards it. And that's a conscious decision to make this moment matter, mm. to make this moment meaningful. And that basically says, hey, you, you, are, you have been created. You can be creative. Ritual is the realm both of tradition and invention. Mm -hmm. So it plays in both ways. It's poly. <laughs> I love it. I love it's poly, it. It's poly. It loves to play in tradition, but it loves to be reinvented. It's like a good recipe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You have traditional recipes, but some of the best restaurants, and I live in Portland right now, and some of the best restaurants are reinventing the recipes. Mm -hmm. Ritual works in the same way. It likes to travel, but it really needs to be reinvented. Mm -hmm. It needs to be renewed. Mm -hmm. And so you, so, so all, let me summarize what I'm saying. People and cultures carry rituals. Amazing. Some cultures have carried them for 10,000 years. Wow. Amazing. That is, that is part of my own people's culture. 4,000 years of some of these rituals. Amazing. However, I am a modern contemporary human being. And I'm not going to carry some of these rituals as if they're stale. I am reinventing them because I am the person carrying them. And I'm an artist and I'm queer and I'm creative and I'm alive. And I'm going to reinvent these rituals and make them relevant now because we have different problems right now than two, 500 years ago. So I empower everyone listening to both learn about where your stuff came from, who your people were, what they carried, all that richness. And you are a creative, alive, inventive human being. Step into that power and reimagine these rituals for this modern time because we need that. We need you to be creative right now. That's the power of, of who you are and what this time needs. Mm. I love that invitation and I, I want to like get into some of the nitty nuance here. Do you think, okay, if you show up with your own creative rituals, is it in your perspective, because you're holding a hard line around cultural appropriation, which I really appreciate the emphasis on that. Um, some rituals seem to be universal. Building altars seems to be very cross-cultural or making an offering to the earth or lighting a candle, invoking fire, you know? So it seems like there are some rituals that are very universally applicable. Um, mm -hmm. And then do you think that, um, like, can we maybe get an example here? Because like, if I show up at this buffet and I'm also bringing my own rituals, are you saying it's also okay if I'm, you know, eating the buffet and like consuming some of that if I'm showing up in an exchange and with an attitude of respect is like the underlying intention of how we hold space for a ritual that let's say honors another culture, like in your books, is that quote unquote, okay. Well, first off, I'm, I'm never a, a prescriber. I'm a describer. I don't like prescribing. There's so many ways that things are different. But I'd say I'd go back to the, the, the um, topic of hospitality. Everyone listening has been a guest. Everyone probably has been a host. The way that you show up as a guest 
might be the same, but it also might be very different, right? So for instance, you might, you might always bring a gift when you come, when you go to a new home, but the gift might be different depending on who the host is. Or it might be like, Hey, can I bring you a gift? Would that be okay? Or it would be insulting. You know, some people don't want that. Mm-hmm. It, it's all about learning what your host loves and giving it to them. Mm-hmm. And that's such a beautiful courtship mm-hmm. to learn what the host loves and give it to them, maybe even without them asking for it. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing is true. You know, if you go to another culture and they're inviting you into a ceremony that doesn't mean you show up and you give the thing you love. You go, you show up and give the thing they love. Mm-hmm. And learning what they love, well, that is quite an amazing act of, of education and learning. Mm-hmm. That's a very deep learning to show. And by the way, there have been cultures in throughout time and places, these have been acts of diplomacy where they would, there are cultures that would send ambassadors to learn the language and the food and the dress and the dances and the, and the humor of certain cultures. And then they would invite that culture to make a, dipl- a diplomatic mission. And they, this culture would show, these people would show up in another country and all of their, their foods and their, langu- and their dress and, every, and their music would all be there. And that's a that would lead to some amazing diplomacy to learn what that culture loves and to give it to them. By the way, this is a for those listening, this is like the key to a happy relationship. <laughs> right? Learn what your lover or partner loves and give it to them. <laughs> that's an amazing way of being in a relationship. And it's a never-ending story to learn what your partner loves and to give it to them without even asking for it. So it works the same thing, works the same way with culture. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I want to get into some examples, but I want to get into one more question about like the nuance um, between routine and ritual. What would you say distinguishes like the morning coffee routine, for example, as a ritual versus being on autopilot? Would you say it's like really the act of turning towards and paying attention? And like, that's the distinguishing factor? I'd say first off, look at the words. I wrote a whole part in my book about the difference between routine and ritual. So mm-hmm. first off, look look at the words. Routine says route. That's the word. It says, or however you want to pronounce it, route or route. It's a point A to point B situation. It's like a GPS. Routines are trying to get you from where you are to where you want to go. Like your bedtime routine, right? Washing the dishes, putting the things away. If you have kids, putting the toys away, brushing your teeth, washing up, getting in, reading a book, getting in bed so that you can get to sleep. Mm-hmm. Routines are all about destination. Mm-hmm. Rituals have no interest in that. Rituals are about transformation, not destination. Mm-hmm. So for instance, a lot of people say my morning coffee ritual. Well, that might be true. But what makes it a ritual versus a routine? So I'll tell you when I wrote this book, every, I did this really, you know, if you want to, if you want to borrow this, please, I love this little ritual I invented, but I communicated to my, I would communicate to my future selves. What does that mean? So at nighttime, before I went to bed, I would take my coffee filter and a pencil 
and I would write a phrase that I wanted my morning self to remember. Something I learned from that day that I wanted to remind my morning self. And I'd leave that coffee filter out on top of my drip. And so I wake up and I would look in my kitchen and on top of the drip coffee, I'd have this beautiful reminder that I would remember as I poured my coffee. And so that whole coffee filter was almost infusing the coffee with that remembering. Mm. And I did the same thing that night. I'm sorry, that morning. Every morning, I would write a note to myself and I'd put it under the pillow of my bed. And whatever I was remembering that morning, I wanted my nighttime self to remember before he went to sleep. Mm. And these are really simple ways to pivot towards the sacred and to pivot towards remembering. When we spoke last, you mentioned a name for the stacked rocks. What was that word? Karen, C-A-I-R-N-S. This is a, this is a, you know, kind of New York, North American pronunciation. It, you know, that word comes from, I believe, Ireland. So I'm probably saying it without the right accent, but I, I say Karen. And what does that mean again? What does that define? Karens are, so if you go for a walk especially in like a mountain or, you know, hills, sometimes you'll see stacks of rocks. You'll see just like a mountain of rocks. Don't touch it, maybe add to it, but don't remove it. Why? Because the person or people that came before you are trying to tell you to not go forward, turn. They're markers. They're saying the trail is confusing here. Don't keep walking straight. Maybe you'll walk off the cliff. Turn here. Mm -hmm. So they're a really interesting metaphor for what rituals are. Mm -hmm. Because life is like that. You know, we just live our lives and it's really easy to just keep on moving forward, especially in a culture that keeps on saying like, just keep going, don't stop, just keep building, keep growing. You know, it doesn't ever want us to pause. Mm -hmm. And Karen's basically say, actually, hold on one second. Turn. Mm Turn here. Don't keep going straight. Mm-hmm. So rituals do the same thing. They base, But instead of turning, they say, return. Mm-hmm. Return to yourself. Return to this time. Return to the year. Return to your family. Return to your home. Return to your original intentions. Return to the season, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But don't keep going straight. You know those signs on, on the road that say, be prepared to stop? Mm-hmm. Just like that. I feel like that's the collective metaphor of our time right now. You know, many of us intuitively know we can't keep going the way that we're going. And that's why this work is so important more than ever. So I I love that. And I'm wondering, do you feel open to sharing a personal story about some really big transitions that you've been going through and how you've woven in ritual to help punctuate those experiences with meaning? Yeah, I'll share one that's really, you know, tender. Um, and and it's, it's literally the first story in the introduction of my book. Um, my mother has dementia. I just was in New York a few days ago visiting her. She's in a memory care facility. It's actually quite beautiful. It's heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time. My mother is um, all love right now. She's like a little girl who just wants cuddles and kisses and love. It's quite beautiful. And it's also really sad. Uh, About a year and a half ago, for the first time, she forgot my name. 
And that experience was monumental. Mm. I didn't know what to do. I, I mean, I couldn't carry on with my day. You know, I had tons of emails and phone calls and interviews and, you know, I had plans at dinner plans at night and like all of that seemed irrelevant. You know, I mean, this woman gave me my name and then she forgot it. And so I looked to my own tradition. I looked to my own culture, Jewish culture, like, what do I do? And Judaism was like, I don't know, you know? So in that moment, I had to do something. I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was heartbroken. And I, I honestly was so wrecked by it and so confused by it that, um, you know, even me as a ritualist, I, I was kind of groping. So as the story goes that I wrote in the book, I, I grabbed two candlesticks. And those candlesticks had layers and layers of wax on them, almost like a stratum of stone. And they had wax from, you know, a good friend's birth. Uh, when I lit candles to honor her birth, her, her giving birth to her daughter, it had uh, wax from the time where my best friend was diagnosed with breast cancer. It had wax from my other best friends who had a, a pandemic wedding. You know, I, lighting candles is a really easy and accessible way to mark moments. I mean, as a Jew, that is like one of the most important ways we do it. So I thought to myself, I should light can uh, a candle. I should just mark this moment by lighting candles. So I lit the candle and I honored that moment, you know, this moment where my mother forgot my name. But I was just like, this seems this seems insufficient. I don't know, I don't know why, but this seems insufficient. So in the moment, I basically invented a ritual. And I took out more candles and I lit each one to call in a relative that I wanted there with me, either living or dead. Because I was like, I don't want to be so fucking alone in this. So I lit a candle to honor her aunt, Miriam, and I lit a candle to honor her mother and her father and my aunt and my brother and my sister-in-law and her best friends. And, and so by the time I did that, my bedroom had like 40 candles lit. Mm. And I looked around and I was like, this room is so beautiful. Like 40 candles, it's a lot of candles. I was living in the woods in a Southern part of Salt Spring Island in Canada. And like, there was not a lot of outside light. And so like my room was like this beautiful, elegant candle lit mm. room. And suddenly I was like, wow, I'm turning my grief into beauty. Mm. 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 That's a beautiful story. Oh my goodness. <sighs> and just to give people some creative ideas around the doing aspect of ritual, you know, so we might write something, we might light a candle, rip a paper, break a branch. What are some other creative ways of, of acting out, saying words yeah. So, I mean, back to the symbolic action conversation, you know, this is like, these are recipes. So in the same way with food, you can like, you know, refrigerate, you can freeze something, you can melt something, you can char something, you can broil, you can, you know, whatever. 
saute. It's the same thing with rituals. It's like there's a lot of tools in your ritual recipe toolbook that you can do. You can submerge, you can rip, you can tear, bury, blow away, toss, whatever. Um, in the book, I am the chef. So I offer what I think would be a really good recipe. But I keep on saying to my reader, hey, but you're cooking this up. So choose what works for you, you know, and for instance, the divorce ritual of like burying the ring is not your jam, you know, and you want to like toss it into the ocean or you want to like renew the ring and submerge it into water. Please, you know, just because these are my recipes doesn't necessarily mean that they're good for you. For instance, I'm gluten free, so... I replace, you know, that kind of flour with gluten-free flour. It's the same kind of metaphor. So I offer a lot of these different kinds of actions, but invent your own. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is like this is the the beautiful part about being creative is that, you know, for instance, like one of the ones with the uh, there's a chapter on um, sabbaticals. You know, we all work a lot. How often do we take a break from our work? You know, so ritual for a sabbatical. And inside of that, you know, I have them bind their hands together with string. Each each wrapping of the string is another way of acknowledging, especially amongst your friends, how you're bound to your work, how you're bound to your family, how you're bound to your routines, how you're bound to money, how you're bound to all of these things. And then the second part of the ritual is the cutting of each cord and unbinding yourself for a limited amount of time to take that break from work, from family, from money, from all of these things. Mm -hmm. So the, the symbolic action is binding and cutting. Mm -hmm. But if that's not your jam, create something else. You know, so it's really, it's like offering, offering these ideas as an artist, as a creative, a creative, and then saying, you too, guys, you're creative. Feel into what works. Feel into what inspires you. You know, we're all just creating something together. Mm. Do you have time to share the story of the ritual you implemented after you lost your dog? Oh, sure. <laughs> I, oh, it's such a good one. Yeah, you know, dog uh, pet loss is like, I mean, <laughs> it's shockingly un underrepresented and, and, and shockingly <laughs> devastating. <laughs> Um, you know, like culturally, religiously, mm -hmm. like we, we, we really don't do much, I know. but it's like, if you have a pet, you know, that that pet is your life. Mm -hmm. That pet's your best friend. When my last dog died, I had a flight and I called the airline. Did I tell you this? I had a, okay, I did. I, I want to tell you, your, your listeners, like I had a flight and I called the airline and they basically were like, oh yeah, you can cancel that flight, not a problem. And, you know, just send us the death certificate. And I said, well, I have to call my vet. I'm, you know, it's my dog. And they said to me like, oh, that's not your family. <laughs> that was like taking a dagger to my heart, you know, really. I mean, not my family. She was my family. I don't have children. So there was a real devastation in that. Mm -hmm. And I decided to write a chapter in the book called Rituals for Pet Loss. And there's a variety of rituals. One, there, one for, the, for the weeks before your pet's dying. Like how, to, how do you say goodbye? Mm -hmm. 
How do you not just say goodbye to your pet, but invite every friend that loves your pet to say goodbye too? Like that could be an opportunity for, for all your people to come together. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, I think the one you're referring to is that a day after Rudy died, her leash was sitting by the front door. And this was an object, a routine object that we used every day, you know, for years, every day, every morning, every evening, same leash, you know, it was like a, it was a real like routine object that had wear and tear of this everyday use. And then suddenly this everyday object had no purpose at all. And it broke my heart to think about tossing it in the garbage. Mm. So I was inspired by my own culture's tradition. Um, we have a tradition where some, when someone dies, we tear our clothing. Um, for those people that don't want to tear their clothing, they get like this pre-torn black ribbon that they wear over their heart. And it's a symbol for them and for others that they're mourning. So I took Rudy's leash and I cut it. And I wore the little clip where it clipped onto her over my heart for a year mm. and this object that literally tethered us to each other mm. became a way to still tether me to her mm. and that was a that's a great example of turning a routine object into ritual mm. that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing um, I don't know if you know this day, but one of the programs I teach is actually around microdosing morning rituals and how we bring in these really powerful plant teachers and not just go into the routine of microdosing, you know, where, where psychedelics are now entering a cultural context where, you know, there's a Western medicalized context here of just pop a pill you know, treat the symptom. I'm happy to know, by the way, that, that this hello, goodbye, I microdosed every, every morning. <gasps> okay. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. So I was like, I'm so curious, you know, what's your relationship like to microdosing and to plant medicine? And, you know, I haven't really heard you speak about that publicly, but I'm actually going to make this part of the program required reading for the program is to encourage all my students to um, purchase this book, which I just want to support so much. Yeah. Um, my own, I have a, a very, you know, as, as you probably do, um, you know, a long and winding road involving plant medicines, um, did not, I I'd say the first plant medicine that I partook in culturally was wine. Mm. That is my culture's plant medicine. Mm. We bless wine at many occasions. This is the, this is our medicine of transformation. Mm. What I particularly love about wine, by the way, is that it's a medicine that takes lots of grapes and it reduces it down into wine. Mm. So the real medicine, the transformation is about taking kind of like a, an overabundance and deepening it. Mm. Wine is about deepening. Mm. So that's the first plant medicine that I've ever um encountered and used ritually. And I have my own relationship with ayahuasca, um, having gone to Peru to drink that brew. Um, and I'd say, you know, and I have a very, you know, not, I'd say past relationship with marijuana, um, but it's not really a part of my, it's not really my teacher, except now it might be around bedtime. Um, but I'd say the medicine that is the most 
friendly to me and the one that I rely upon as a, as a companion and a friend is um, psilocybin. Mm. And so every morning with that cup of coffee, I would microdose a little bit of psilocybin when writing this book. And that was a sanctification um, moment, a moment to really turn towards the earth. I mean, I turned towards the earth in lots of ways. I had a ritual of going to the sea every morning before writing this book. And I write about that in the book. But in terms of um, microdosing with mushrooms, that was a moment for me to turn towards this plant ally mm-hmm. and to say, um, you know, this is not just about me. This is calling in mm-hmm. lots of different allies to help this book, to help the spirit of this book come through. Mm-hmm. And so, and coffee also, by the way, is a plant ally mm-hmm. to me. Um and so they, within my alchemy and chemistry, they uh, played well together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and by the way, plant medicine is not just, I don't believe it's something that we ingest. You know, I, I create nature altars and that is food, that is medicine, but it's, it's not to be taken in by me. It's, it's actually plant medicine back to the land. Mm. And so, you know, I think we have to really expand our understanding of, how to of what this medicine is mm-hmm. in a much more creative way and to see that you know we are ingesting this medicine but also we're not the only ones mm-hmm. and we have to feed the thing that feeds us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right. and this is the first time by the way that i'm kind of coming out publicly about microdosing mm. um, and that's part of my you know there were years and years ago i came out publicly about my sexuality and that was like enormous support about that you know and it felt there was like this moment of like what does the my work have to do with being queer and then it was this like has everything to do with it Mm -hmm. you know and so like what does my work have to do with plant medicine everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) i love that oh my gosh that's i don't know if you're familiar with dr bruce lipton and his work biology of belief he also came out of the psychedelic closet for the first time ever on this podcast he said he wouldn't have discovered he wouldn't have discovered epigenetics if it weren't for psilocybin (laughs) i was like wow that's pretty big yeah and it also helps helps us to remember that we're not sitting at the top of the pyramid Mm -hmm. you know it's not just about we're in a much bigger world yeah much bigger world than we think we're in and these these plants are our teachers mm-hmm. and there are great rememberers there are great reminders of mm-hmm. how big how enormous how vast it is how mysterious it is mm-hmm. and hopefully we're humbled by that and in the same way i spoke about hospitality you know to show up to this plant with gifts and gratitude mm-hmm. and praise and try and feed the thing that feeds us yes yes i so appreciate that it's like this bridge that I just, yeah, I want to arrive at this one other aspect of ritual that I haven't asked you about yet. But when I work with microdosing in the morning and I really tend to the sacred and engage in my practices, and then when I sit down to create content or write, I've also published a couple of books and I know what it takes to dedicate to that. And then I would really open my work practice with a ritual by actually connecting to this greater life force. And may I step out of the way so my channel can open. And I'm curious what your, do you have like work rituals that you've explored? Sure. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, for instance, writing this book, it was just really one ritual after the next. But one of the biggest ones was, you know, I had a room for for writing. I lived in a tiny house in the southern tip of Salt Spring Island in Canada. I literally lived across the street from the sea and down the street from a First Nations reserve. Mm. Very, And that's a whole other story about how the pandemic led me there. Um, but anyway, I had this one room in a tiny house where I was writing. And I, I, of course, had an altar on the floor. And I had different candles around the room to honor the, the directions. And so there was a, a lot of ritual around lighting that altar and what each direction stood for, what I was calling in through that direction. And, it, and also speaking of plant medicines, I burned sweetgrass also mm. as an attractor. I mean, this is something that I was taught to me by an elder from the Shoshone tribe mm-hmm. about the importance of, of burning sweetgrass. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you do burn sweetgrass, you know, it's good to learn what it mm-hmm. It's for its purpose. It's how to respect it, how to honor it, how to give back to it, not just take from it. But anyway, I burned sweetgrass as I did this morning. Um, and I walk, you know, I moved in my room in a certain direction, lighting these candles. And then I would sing a song. And, you know, reminding myself, I, I think it's important to remember, you mentioned this before in our conversation, something about like getting things getting stale or like, you know, routines kind of like getting like not, you know, feeling a little bit like uh, by rote, Mm -hmm. taking them for granted. And one of the songs I would sing is an old African-American spiritual called This This May Be the Last Time. Hmm. Do you feel like singing it? What's a line of it? Let's hear it. This may be the last time. This may be the last time, children. This may be the last time. Maybe the last time. I don't know. Like that. And this song always pops me out of taking that moment for granted. What if this is the last day I had to write this book? Suddenly I light the candles, I sing the song and I sit down and I'm like, if this is the last day, this is the last time I'm going to fucking write a great book. Mm-hmm. And that, that's all I got to say about it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, right. if it's the last day, I'm going to approach this thing with lots of wonder. Mm-hmm. And like to do it for the joy of coming alive in the moment right? And like being in the process of it. And I think that's such a, such a, just, I just want to emphasize that point right now, because there's just also so many people who do the thing to get to the destination, which you touched on, like the routine to get to the destination, but ritual is like alchemical, it's transformational. And that's like the process of exactly how I relate to creativity. That's what I study in graduate school, it's creativity studies. And so it's like this alchemical catalyst and just to do it because it that unique genius gets to move through your being and that's how we come alive and make meaning in our lives on a much deeper level. Yeah, get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Cre- mm-hmm. Create the environment that's almost like a courtship mm-hmm. that attracts the spirit that you're looking for and then get out of the way. Right, right. I love that courtship. 
I also love Salt Spring Island. I don't know if oh, you know you this. Yes, I'm Canadian. I grew up in Montreal oh, mm-hmm. right. and I spent years and years out West in British Columbia, all over the interior, oh, Christina Lake. Yes. And on the islands and up in Powell River, one of my dear sisters, Autumn oh. Sky Morrison is up oh. in Powell River. Yeah. So it's one of my homes and that island has claimed me. And unfortunately, there's a thing called borders that... <laughs> says I'm American, not Canadian. And uh, so I can't live in the place that has claimed me, one of the places that has claimed Mm. me. And so I can only return and that island is magic. And um, I've, you know, the last, the last sentence of my acknowledgements in the, in the, in the book is Mm. um, calling the island by her, one of her indigenous names, Winanech. Hmm. which is a Tsao Nation's name for her and honoring her and the gifts that she gave me every day Hmm. when I was there. Hmm. That's exactly how I also feel about Pele. I spent the last 10 years on the big island of Hawaii and she taught me about the paradox of creative construction and destruction. You know, the the creation and destruction, like... (laughs) You know, yeah. and, and holding that paradox in the beauty of impermanence, you know, yeah. Yeah. which is actually yeah. such a full circle to where we started, because that's really <laughs> the essence of what that island taught me is how to actually bow at the altar of impermanence after spending years building a volcanic hot spring retreat center and putting blood, sweat and tears into that. And then the volcanic eruption happened and changed our lives instantly. And, you know, here I am on the mainland. I mean, it's like, yeah, mind blowing. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, this is the time to actually make peace with this fact that there is no ground to stand on right now. And that's the paradox that actually ritual can root us into a ground within our being that that isn't solid. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, the the thing that your and my story have in common is we're both lovers of islands. Mm-hmm. And so ritual in the groundless ocean, ritual offers us a temporary island to stand on. Mm-hmm. I like that. I know I've been playing with this metaphor. Are you familiar with Pema's teachings of groundlessness? You know, and Mm -hmm. how like the root cause of suffering is like always trying to find ground to stand on. So I've been like playing with this metaphor of the ground within our being, (laughs) you know, that's not physical. But I also like this island metaphor as well. Mm -hmm. There's a a man by the name of Rabbi Joshua Heschel, who in in reference to Shabbat, our Sabbath, he calls it an island in time. Mm. And so I, you know, borrowed slash was inspired by that phrase and that I use that in the book to describe ritual as an it's an island in time and place you know because really it is all impermanent Mm -hmm. it is all changing but we can create these little little places to stand on and orient ourselves Mm -hmm. and say where am I whoa that just changed Mm -hmm. where am I and you do need a a, you know Mm -hmm. it's it you do need a place to stand on albeit temporarily Mm -hmm. You know, and so you can get oriented and then change direction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I love this inquiry. And then it also seems like, oh, yeah, everything is always changing moment by moment in our individual lives. But we do go through these like more significant transition portals where it's like, whoa, way upheaval or like the loss of someone that we love. And it seems like that's kind of what we're going through collectively right now. It's like, oh, the big, big portal of transition. 
Well, imagine if we all collectively could learn how to ritualize our global transitions. Mm. Rather than resisting climate change or resisting our government's actions or resist all this resist or or the opposite, which is, you know, just turning away from and ignoring. Mm -hmm. What if we can head down into I don't know if you're aware of the word catastrophe. This is a great word to learn. Do you no, know about let's this let's 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 cover so it's it. <laughs> two, two, it's, it's involved two words, kata and strophe. Um, kata is literally the part of the music when you're listening to a song and it kind of like, like classical music, it gets really loud and then it kind of like goes down into like the new part, like mm -hmm. it gets soft mm -hmm. and, and, and that's kata that literally means down and in mm. and, and catastrophe, the strophe part means to plate or to braid. Oh my gosh. I love like that. a road. Or a rope. Or so like word, sweet grass. <laughs> yeah. So the word catastrophe doesn't mean like this horrible thing that's happening. Learn the word. Mm. It actually means the time where the road or rope that leads us down and into the next thing. Mm. Like the underworld. Mm. Mm -hmm. Down and in for transformation. Whoa. Well, that's not something we want to avoid. Actually, tons of myths talk about those moments of going down. I mean, that's all the hero's journey, right? Or mm -hmm. initiation down and into the next thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that requires totally new skills and new resources and new ways of being in the world when we're in the underworld. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so don't fear catastrophe. This is not the time to be to be scared this is the time to access new skills and to come together and to mark the entering in and mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. it's actually so funny because that is the exact narrative of my seven week course with the shift is that this is a time where we have a new journey ahead and it's not Ooh. about turning away from it it's actually about what are the skill sets the mindsets and the heart sets that we need now to move through this next phase of the journey and, and how isn't it isn't it cool that the words themselves are telling us how to do it oh, it's amazing i love this i love this you're really inspiring me to get more into the root the root of words i love that <laughs> i love it so much um gosh is there anything else that you feel inspired to share before we wrap up right now um you know the, i'll share the last thing that that my dad told me before he died which is keep the faith, mm. you know, keep the faith, keep on, keep on, keep like practice, mm -hmm. you know, keep on showing up, keep on putting it down, keep on building, keep on making beauty, keep on letting go, keep on returning. You know, it's just the, it's the repetition piece that's really important right now. And the more we can do it together, the better. Mm -hmm. The more we are, we're not isolated and alone, the more, you know, this culture is really tearing us apart. Mm -hmm. So the more we can come together, make beauty together, grieve together, celebrate together, make things together, share food together, you know, the better. Mm -hmm. So keep keeping the faith, mm -hmm. you know, the underworld is dark. It's not about seeing with your eyes. Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. 
Yeah, it's like this line that I like to say, you know, crisis can be the catalyst for transformation and darkness is an ally. It's actually into the abyss that we actually open up a different eye, our inner eye, and that's where we can create from. Because we're not in the sort of sucked into the illusion of the 3D reality and playing in. It's like we get to go into a blank canvas and create <laughs> from the mind in that I'll place. I'll give your listeners and you a teaser. I'm not going to share this. It's a teaser. Buy the book. Which is, the word crisis doesn't mean what you think it does. Okay. It's a, it's a clue and a spell. Okay. I'm I so encouraging it. everyone to buy the book. <laughs> yes. I so appreciate you, Day. And I just, I feel like, you know, you're just family. I'm going to hang out with you at some point in hey. person. I'm really looking forward to that day. And giving thanks to East Forest for bringing us together, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. East Forest. And also just the, you know, kind of the unknown and unexpected ways that we met. And may this be the beginning of many collaborations. Yes, thank you so much, Day. I so thank appreciate you. Thank you for asking you. such great questions and for being such a good host to me. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, it's such a joy. And I really appreciate, I feel like every time... I have, you know, not in every conversation, but there's quite a lot of conversations that I really feel like I'm receiving someone's deep transmission. And I actually just feel really honored that you offer that, that you're offering your energy and that you're really expressing yourself from that place and that I'm receiving that in real time. So I just, I feel actually deeply honored and grateful to be in this shared moment with you. It's mutual. Awesome. Okay, sweetie. Have a beautiful rest of your day and we'll be in touch soon. Okay. Okay. Bye, sweetie. Ah. Aloha. Bye. You too. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you've been enjoying this show, I would sincerely appreciate it if you could take a few moments to leave me a review on iTunes. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you know someone who might benefit from tuning into this show or this episode featuring Day talking about the power of rituals, then I encourage you to send it to a friend or to share one of your favorite episodes on social media. If you share this episode on Instagram, you can tag me at D. Or if you feel inspired to reach out and get in touch, I love hearing from people who are listening to the show. You can send me a DM on Instagram, once again, at D, or reach out and send me a message through my website, lauradon.co. If you'd like to access all of the resources mentioned in this episode and learn more about Day and his work, you can find all of those resources, including a full transcript and the featured musician at lauradon.co forward slash 44. I'm going to leave you with this song called The Offering by Aaluz. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time. When this life is calling me to surrender In the moment I am resisting the pull of the
give up the story and all of its glory to see what is still Love them.